Walking the Dog is sponsored by Pet Plan, who pay 97% of all the claims they receive. Pet insurance can be a confusing business, but I think ultimately it's all about the quality of the vet fee cover provided. Pet Plan cover things other insurers don't and can pay your vet directly, so you get to spend your cash on other essentials. No, Raymond, that doesn't include dog biscuits. Terms, conditions and excesses apply. Pet Plan is a trading name of Allianz Insurance PLC. Don't be thinking she's got worms just because she's sliding her bottom on the floor. She's not got worms. I know what you're thinking. And here we go. We're in Lee's house. Everyone will be riddled with worms. <laughs> this week on Walking the Dog, Raymond and I went to visit someone who's no stranger to this podcast, the utterly hilarious, endlessly brilliant Lee Mack. Lee didn't have a dog the first time he appeared, which was fairly obvious as his reaction to the dog doing his business was call the police. Shortly after appearing, he did actually get a dog, a beautiful silver lab called Ludo, who joined him for his second appearance. And after that, he got another dog called Tilly, who you'll meet now. So I think what we've all learned is, whenever Lee Mack appears on this podcast, he ends up getting a dog. A few things. Firstly, when Ray and I met Lee at his house, it was pouring with rain and pouring isn't Raymond's favourite. So we ended up having a cosy chat in Lee's study, which Raymond immediately weed in, by the way. I was mortified. We've obviously covered a lot of Lee's history with dogs and life story in the first two episodes, so do go back and give those a listen. For this episode, we decided to basically just press record and let Lee chat about anything and everything, just to give you an insight into what an incredible person he is to hang out with. And he was so brilliant, we're releasing it in two parts, because frankly, it'd be a crime not to share all of this with you. I really hope you enjoy part one coming up now. I want to also mention Lee is currently starring in the hit West End show The Unfriend at London's Wyndham Theatre till next March and he's just fantastic in it. So do go and book your tickets via theunfriend.com. I think it's time we stop talking now, Raymond, don't you? And hand over to the man himself. Here's Lee and Ludo and Tilly and Raymond. Right, ready? So we can edit this in. We don't have to say hello. Right, let's introduce them. Now, Ray, you may be the only dog I've met who's smaller than my puppy. Um, that's it. Makes yourself look even smaller by lying on the ground and flattening your legs. That reminds me, this floor needs a mop. Right. Lee, I'm so, nervous. How's it going to go? So, I, I should know. say, Ray has met Lee's dog, Ludo, before. Yeah. They've been on a walk together. This is the first time Ray will be mm. meeting... Uh, Tilly. Yes. You nearly forgot the name then. Well, I didn't know. I didn't know if, if you know. I was thinking of a joke. I was thinking, should I go for the joke? We go. This is because you were speaking in a way slightly that it was a Channel Four documentary, and it was like someone that perhaps had been accused of a really horrific crime, and someone that just got out of prison. Yeah. And so this is the first time you've actually met the person who did this. Okay. This, your tone was very somber, and I did wonder if. We were doing a different podcast this time. So this is the first time you will have met um, since it happened. And, and you're definitely ready for this. Are you ready? Are you ready, Ray? Uh, are, you, are you able to forgive? Just sneeze at me. Okay. I think we're going we're to open the door now and introduce we know, the we dogs. We are now Come opening on. the door, podcast. Right, actually, she will run out. And so I'm going to... Was that your wife? No, she will... She will she's gone. Tilly will run out ignore everything and go for the cat food because her priority is food all the time. So what we need to do is we need to go around the other way and sneak in and shut the door quickly. Follow me, guys. Come on, Ray, let's follow Lee. Let's tiptoe because you have to get in quick 
before she knows we're at this door. Okay. okay. Ready, ready. She, stay now. You go in that way. You go in that way and shut the door behind you. And I'll keep Ben's there. All right, you ready? You ready? You're going to meet Ray? No, you have to get take Ray with you. Oh, gosh. Ray, quick, get in here. Get in here. Quick, Ray. Yes! Ray, come on. <gasps> Look, who's here? Hello. They will get... Hello, darling. I think Ludo, who's this? <laughs> hey, 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 hey. Whoa, whoa, gosh. It's just because they're in the house, that's all. Like, they're a bit probably tense. Is Ray oh. still alive? Ray's still alive, I think. It's very hard to see any features. Tilly's definitely given her the look as if to go. I thought the cats weren't allowed in here. Because <laughs> we don't let the cats in this room because we keep the cats and the dog separate. So there you go. Ludo! Yeah, I'm fine, look. Tilly! What's that? Should we give you all a treat? Let's give, is Ray allowed a treat? Ray! Come on, Ray. Ray, this is Ludo and this is Tilly. Come we, on, we sit had... down. Ray, do you want a treat? He's allowed a treat, isn't he? Yeah. My dog would have had your hand off by now. and You're like coaxing it down Ray's throat. Ray sort of eats mm. it like an after eight min, doesn't he? Ray, like, Ray ate that like you only ever usually give him tins of caviar. <laughs> I think when you see Ray eating, he should be accompanied by, you know in Disney films when they're at a posh place, like the end they hear, <laughs> it's got that vibe to it. Come on, that, Ray. That was the look very similar that Ray gave to when I first took Tara up north and told her that it was, you know, standard to have chips and gravy. She thought, well, I suppose I'm here, I better have them. I'm going to use the posh cups. Can I ask a question, Lee? Well, go on. I know what you're going to ask and, and you won't believe the answer. Is Ludo at all jealous of the attention Tilly gets? Um, a little bit because, well, we changed the rules. When we first got Tilly, Tilly, because she's so small, was allowed on a couple of chairs that he wasn't allowed on. He's allowed on, he's, a, he's got a chair that he's allowed on. Isn't that weird, are you? No, that's just the natural look. You were worried she was weeing on the floor. But I like the fact that instead of just saying anything, you politely grimaced, thinking, if I keep grimacing, he'll sort it out. But, so yeah, he, he, he gets a little bit like, why is she allowed up there and I'm not? That's what I'm sensing. So now he is allowed up there. I've yeah. put a blanket down on the sofa and he comes on the sofa. And occasionally, if, it's the other way around. If he's getting stroked, she jumps in for some action. That's, that's not like her to do that. She doesn't do that. I don't be thinking she's got worms just because she's sliding her bottom <laughs> on the floor. She's not got worms. I know what you're thinking. And here we go. We're in Lee's house. Everyone will be riddled with worms. <laughs> but it's not worms. It's crabs. Ludo! Come here. It's all prepared for me dog walk me. We walk me dog walk jumper, me dog walk trousers. Well, if it brightens up, we could take them for a, a circuit round the garden if it stops yeah, raining. Yeah, this will be outside. Yeah. Although we'll never use phrases on, on the podcast like circuit round <laughs> the garden. Because I want to be, you know, I've got one eye on the Greg's advert. And I, I don't want to ruin me brand. <laughs> um... <laughs> Oh, what are we all having? Tea or coffee? Tea, please. Do you want what kind of tea do you want? Um, do you have Earl Grey? That's all we have. Do you want decaf Earl Grey or normal? That's not normal, sarcasm, please. Her breath stinks, by the way. Have you noticed that? She don't smell her breath. It's absolutely vile. <laughs> Honest to God, we, me and Tara have been obsessed by the breath. We don't understand what it is. And I've said, and I know you're going to get comments online about this, so I'm going to say it. I've suggested, wait for it, wait for this is the bombshell, because I know what you dog people are like listening. 
I have suggested a vegan diet and light the fuse. <laughs> you what? In the wild, they eat giraffes. Right, because my vet said, I'm a, I'm a vegan. My vet didn't say that, I already knew. No, my vet said that it's perfectly fine to have a vegan diet for a dog. Now, a lot of people don't agree with that, but I say to those people, did you do seven years training like my vet? And they often say, no. I say, well, mind your own business. Mm -hmm. And he said, it's absolutely fine to have a vegan diet for a dog. Now, I know the argument that in the wild, they would blah, blah, blah. But people are soon happy to let go of the fact that in the wild, they wouldn't be sleeping at the end of a double bed or indeed barking at a television just because a cat advert's on. <laughs> so, you know, pick and choose your moments, guys. Come on, don't you? <laughs> to suit your argument. So, so what are you thinking with that Well, diet? what we've done is we've got the... We've got the vegan puppy food and the vegan dog food, and we're just doing vegan lunches at the moment. Already, the people will be complaining. Three meals a day! <laughs> Three meals a day, the man's a monster! But we do breakfast, lunch and dinner. We don't just do breakfast and dinner, which is what most people do. We give them lunch as well. What you're they don't have lunch in the wild! <laughs> what you'll notice is that after every comment, Lee will provide you with a footnote. Yeah, a footnote. Just saves you saying it. <laughs> I've just, I'm a bit temperamental because I've just come on, on the back of the NTA award debacle where I made a joke. And I'm happy for you to include this in the podcast because it was an insight into how it all worked. When you're part of a story, it's fascinating how it works. So what you do is you, you start then predicting what will happen. You know, Lee Max says, dogs should only eat vegan food, which is not what I'm saying. All right. But that, that's more interesting to click on. You know what I mean? Lee Mac says, if you don't feed your dog vegan food, you may as well chuck it out in the street tomorrow. You know, they'll just put anything they want on the back of it to make it more clickbaity, aren't they? So... But you didn't with that NTA Awards thing, which was ridiculous. Well, it was, it was, I mean, it's a cliche to say. I, you never want to use the phrase for risk of sounding like Donald Trump. Fake news. You know, there is such a thing. You realise when you're part of it because... Um, yeah, but it's, look, it's tittle-tattle, it's just a joke, but the order of events were, day one, I get, get the award at the NTAs and tell some silly, if I'm going to be honest, slightly lazy joke, because I haven't been bothered to thought about what I'm going to say, and it's a bit phallic, the, sim, the trophy. So I, uh, I thought, well, if I win it, I'll just say, I never thought I'd receive a sex toy from X. Whoever's, Whoever's giving, me, giving the me the award, right? Anyway, so Jill Scott presents the award, which I didn't know she was going to do that. And then, so I do the joke, you know. Oh, I never thought I'd receive a sex toy off Jill Scott, you know. And I don't know if people then thought that was because, you know, she's an openly gay woman and am I saying that's aimed at her, whatever. It, but more importantly, nobody complains. It's fine, gets a laugh on the night. Nobody at home's bothered. There's like one comment, I think, on Twitter or something. So they, so they, Tabloids make a little story out of that. Emac shocks, blah, blah, blah. You know. But then day two of the narrative is uh, Lee Mac, uh, people call for cancellation of Lima. That's the sort of day two clickbait spin of it because one of the persons put something on Twitter that's so minutely, innocently written like, I bet it gets cancelled now. Probably supportive of me, you know. But they go, oh no, we'll say blah, blah. So they do that. Day three of the narrative. Leaf Mac fights back against cancel culture. I hadn't said a word. I had literally not said a word, but they took an interview I did before I'd made the joke. 
like from earlier in the evening about how when I do the one percent club, the audiences are all up for a laugh. Occasionally, the one or two at home get offended, but on the night they never do. That was apparently me going, "Oh, yours, your cancellation bastards!" <laughs> so this little narrative spin that they this yeah. it's fascinating to watch it in action because it's all the same paper, the same paper that say it's outrageous, and the same papers that go, and and he's now they're trying to cancel the poor bugger. Like they're not. You're the only one to ever mention it. I'm just going to stop and say it's the most middle class thing I've said uh, in my life. Okay. Would you want oat milk in your Earl Grey? There's the trailer. Yeah, there's the trailer. <laughs> That's yeah. not going to get you the Greg's yeah. ad. That is not getting me the Greg's advert. Like, if I carry on bagging on about oat milk <laughs> in the Earl Grey. Uh, but when sorry, can I say that again for, the, for, the, for what you're going to use? Do you want some full fat cream in your PG tips? I'll use that one. But when that sort of stuff happens, Lee, like the NTA Awards, yeah. Furore, do, do you wake up and get a sinking feeling and think, because it must be horrible. Oh, no. To feel... I could honestly say hand on heart, not even one, because it's not true. So I'd get a sinking feeling if it was true. But if they said they, they complain and then you go, so they, they link you on the newspaper clickbait to the people complaining then you read it and you go but they're not complaining it's like two people have just yeah. made some silly comment you realize it's just i mean it is i mean I, i'm terrible though because i'm sitting there saying to tara this world of clickbait we live in and as i'm telling her some story comes up about i don't know holly or phil or whatever and i click it as i'm talking i go oh, what's that i have a little click no i'm doing it we're all doing it aren't we we're all doing it. Do you it. click, you'll never believe what happened next. That one. Look what this child what? star looks like now. Yeah? And then by the time you've gone through it, you realise they were a child star at the beginning of the article. <laughs> it's that long. You got 175 pictures later, you go, oh, guess what they look like now? A bit like that, but older. But they try and get you in with you. You won't believe. You won't believe the size of this woman now. And you go, I'm not going to be the kind of person that clicks on that. But then you do, and you click on it, and the, the result is she's not that different to size as she was in her 20s, and that's supposed to be the bit that you'll see. It's not put any weight at all. Or indeed lost it. That's a surprise, isn't it? Well, not really, because it didn't have any preformed opinions. So. Have you seen the dog one? That's really creepy. There's one that says they thought it was a dog, and you'll never believe what happened next. Go on, I want to know Of course now. I went straight in. Yeah, of course. And it always I think I have seen this, but I didn't get to the <laughs> end. It took too long. Yeah, they thought it was a dog. And it's, it's, on like, it's on like a cave or some rocks. Yes, I do know this one. It was, on the, it was in a cave and they go, they thought it was a dog. And I thought, oh, it's got to be a dog, that isn't it? Because it looks like a dog. Did and you not get to the end? Of course I didn't. Because I, I never get to the end of these things. Come on, Ray. Hello. Come on. Ray, must be the lightest dog I've ever held. Oh, do you know, that? I think that's the nicest compliment you've ever given me. You won't believe the weight <laughs> of this dog. <laughs> Lee, there's a sleeping bag in here. Uh, no, that's, yes, there is a sleeping bag in there. There's not, this isn't any form of marital strife. Because even if we had a little temporary break from each other, I wouldn't put a sleeping bag on an armchair. That would be crazy. Um, does that belong to me or is Ray an inside weir? 
Oh, he's done a wee wee. Oh, don't, oh dear. <laughs> Can we get a tissue, please? Certainly. I'll get some toilet paper. I'm so sorry. That's all right. You won't believe what the dog did on my floor. And then, so I go, what? And I go, well, first of all, and I tell her 500 different stories and we never get to the point. <laughs> yes, I'm going to clean this up. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to rush you. It's just that it is starting to seep into the wood. Yeah, put your coffee down on the wood. Don't worry about that. Just <laughs> joking. Just get it wiped up. <laughs> can you hold Ray? Oh, definitely. Don't even say, can you wipe up the way? He's just, he's just been oh, to the bathroom. Ray, you are so... Here we so go. light, aren't you, Ray? Have you got your own disinfectant or is that water? I don't know. Or is that mine? Yes. Oh, is it? Yeah. What well, is it? I have no idea. Probably water that you spray you, plants with. Lee just asked me to clean up Raylan's wee. Well, to be Raylan's... fair, I didn't ask you to do it. I expected you to do it and you did it. Lee just assumed I was I'm going to... I'm assuming you up the wee, yeah. And I grabbed a spray yeah. that I thought you'd brought in. No, no. Oh. I think it's probably... What is it? Oh, what is that? <laughs> oh, yeah, don't use that. Oh, my God, you've wrecked the floor now. You've actually managed to wipe up the wee with some sort of caustic acid. Hang on, I'm going to do something that will solve everything. Wait there. Have you discovered the joys of bicarbonate of soda? I like to sit in the dog chair. Sit in the dog chair, and then would you like to sit on this one? Come on, Ray. Right. So we've, Lee, we've come into Lee Mac's study. Nice, I like I'm going to take my shoes off. Do it. I'm a big shoes off person. I find as I'm getting older, you're showing me your socks and it says on it, Miss M. As in that's the name of the sock or you had them embroidered? I had them embroidered. Did you? Yeah. That's not a money in podcast, isn't it? <laughs> if I had me on podcast, I'd have me on embroidered socks. You didn't have embroidered socks before this moved over to Gary Lineker's <laughs> company. So in case this hasn't been clear, mm. we've had to move... I've come over to interview Lee today for walking the dog. Yep. And unfortunately it's raining. So we've decided to do it at your house. Uh, and now we've come into your study. Can I just ask, are you talking to the listeners now? Because I know all this. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is my third time on your podcast. I know. And the first time we had to borrow a dog from, was it a charity or something? We got, a, we got given a dog from some sort of like Battersea Dog Zone, didn't we? Where I borrowed a dog for the day to walk it. Wasn't it some sort of dog home? The Dog's place? Trust, yeah. The dog's Trust, yeah. yeah. And then. Um, she was called Livy and she was a collie. Oh. Which I thought would be someone's good. Someone's been listening back to their own podcast this morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I remember all the name of all my dogs. I was surprised when you did go on to get a dog. Do you know why? Why? Because when you came on my podcast the first time and Livy went to the toilet, yeah. do you remember what you said? No, I'll tell me. Call the police. <laughs> yeah, that's the bit I thought I wouldn't be able to get my head around. But do you know what that shows? I've realised now I'm a dog owner. What, that shows your classic naivety. It's the same naivety. The idea that you'll find picking up dog poo disgusting is the same naivety as before you have children and people go, oh, I could never change nappies. What that shows is the complete naivety to what the real problems are. Changing a nappy is nothing. It's all the other things from the ages of zero to 18 that's the problem. It's really quite hard being a parent, and you just think, that's nothing. Wiping the bombs, that is easy. Yeah. And the same with picking up the dog poo. That's, that's a doddle. In fact, it's a joy, because it means they're, not, they're, they're toilet trained, they're outside, they're doing it in the right, correct way. All right, right. point taken. Yeah. Oh yeah, I wasn't <laughs> having to go at Ray, just because he's... Yeah, but that's different, because it's not that he's not trained, he's, he's at the other end now, where he's an old man, and he's, he can't help himself. Isn't he? How old is Ray? He's six. Oh, sorry, Ray. It's still a bit not quite old enough to be weeing on the floor. So you got 
you got Ludo. The we got Ludo. Lab. So the second time we came with you, it was with Ludo. Yeah. And I loved Ludo. Yeah, lovely Ludo. And when you first got Ludo, do you remember this? You left me a message. You're with your daughter. Hmm. You said, I'm in the pet shop. I don't know what to buy. Um, oh, yeah. Can you tell us, please? Because I don't know what's going on here. And then you did a weird sort of 360 shot of the entire pet shop. And you said, what do we do? I, I don't know what to do. You're going to have to call me back. I think I included shots of things that I definitely didn't know I'd need, like tarantulas. In, yes. Uh, and... and then because I didn't get back to you within about 90 seconds, I then got a follow-up message saying, thanks a lot. My daughter's in tears. Right. And I suspect the dog is not going to make it till Christmas because yeah. you didn't get back to us. Passive aggressive, that. <laughs> that. That's my way of trying to be humorous whilst actually meaning it a bit. <laughs> Sometimes you need an action, an instant action response, don't you? But you did very well. And then we got, and now here I am for the third time, now with another dog, Tilly. So why did you get Tilly then? Right, well, Tilly was because we talked about getting a second dog mm. because Tara wanted something that would sit on her lap. Ludo's a big Labrador and he's just not really a sitting on your lap type dog. Not, not when he's that size, you know. So it gets him a little. And I wanted to, you could outrun this time because the problem we've had with Ludo is we haven't been able to get him back. Um, you know, and again, I'm, I'm seeing it in advance, the comments section under all this. Yeah, no such thing as a bad dog, only a bad owner. Yeah, well, you're wrong, all right? Sometimes it is the dog's fault. I'm sorry to break it to you, you dog lovers. Sometimes it's just the dog's fault. You know what I mean? That's it, end of. And, and he, he wouldn't come back, we tried everything. But we took it to two different trainers, Ludo. We took him, not it, I'll say him. Yeah. We took him to two different trainers and they were both anti-castration. And, which is quite unusual. A lot of people think you should castrate a dog, but these trainers said, you, know, you should never castrate a dog. And both trainers said, it's only in very rare circumstances you, should you get a dog castrated. Really? Yeah, very rare circumstances. And both trainers had our dog for a day. And at the end of the day, they both said, he's the rare exception getting castrated. <laughs> because he's just untrainable. He's, he's just a bit loopy. And he is a bit loopy, my dog. But in a good way. Oh, and he has calm, he's calmed a bit now, but for the first first two years, it was that thing that you get a puppy and everyone goes, be all right after a year. And then they have the first birthday and you go, yeah, it sometimes takes two years. And then you get the second birthday and they go, you can take up to three years with a lab. <laughs> I heard one last week, five years. The running, the running off, mm. um, the, the ball, the obsession with the ball. So if he gets the ball. Hyperfocus. Yeah, hyperfocus, ADHD dog. He will get the ball. He runs off with the ball. He returns it most of the time, but when he gets a sense, they're not going to throw it again now because it's time to get back in the car. He runs. And then he goes to the same part of the river where he throws it in the river and gets it himself, but then can't get out of that part of the river and never learns that that's the part of the river you can't get back out of. So we've had to get in the river to get him out. And it's like, he's not doing it as a go does. He's just doing it because he goes, oh yeah, I keep forgetting. Can't get out of this bit, can I? It's like, I'd say 5% of the whole, whole river you can't get out of, but he goes to the same bit every time. And he's also got the eyes, you know, those dogs with slightly human eyes, they're sort of... Yes. They're sort of... And they're not... He's got proper. supermodel looks though, Ludo, yeah, that's oh, the he's, thing. He's a beautiful dog, but he's, you know... Um, but like an actual supermodel, sometimes... Um, he's he's looking at He's looking at you, not listening. <laughs> <laughs> 
And also, like a supermodel, he'll, he jumps in the same part of the river and can't get out. Bad analogy, but I bet Naomi Campbell's always jumping in the same part of the river. <laughs> but you know the way a supermodel is on the catwalk looking, whatever that look is, that, that mm. I am very sultry and But you know it's just not, it's just, they're looking through you, they're not looking at you, are they? They're just going, this is the face I have to put on to do the catwalk. Well, that's what my dog's like. This is the look of, now you're not going to run off and forgive you this ball, are you? I remember the look I have to give him, then he gives me the ball. I'm off. So Ludo falls in love with this dog in the park called Maya. And she's a little cross between a staffy and a Cocker Spaniel. And every time they see each other, my dog and this young fella's dog, they absolutely, they remember each other, even if it's been six months. And it's a different level of love. It's not just the usual play. It's like, oh, it's you. We love each other. And they play forever, you know. And then one day we bumped into him and he said, oh, she's having babies. And we thought, oh, should we go around and have a look? But of course, if you go around and have a look at puppies, how often do you walk away and not get a puppy? Like, you don't. What are you expecting to see that's going to put you off? <laughs> no, four legs and a tail. Forget it, we don't want it. So, so, we, so we got one. We got one of the little dogs. Because we thought if she is in love with him and he's in love with her, then having one of the children of these dogs, let's call it a puppy, mm. it will it will transfer to the puppy and they'll be equally smitten with the puppy. Oh, I see. Mm. And, and, and has it turned out I to be the case? It, I think it has. I think they are. They do love each other and they're very smitten. They're very, she's, she, she nibbles at him. Yeah. She, her, her version of a, of a joke or a bit of fun is to just bite as hard as you can on the ears. <laughs> but he gets that from me because that's my idea of having a joke with Tara. <laughs> If no one's listening, you can't think of anything funny to say, bite them on the ear. At least you're getting some attention. I'm starting to think you are a bit like Luda, if you don't mind me saying. Well, we are very similar. We're both... Don't you think? You're quite wild and out of control. Yeah. And I've got slightly... I've got eyes that look slightly through (laughs) here. And there's not 100% certainty about the parentage. Because we think that there's a chance of Weimarana. That would mean Ludo, not me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Although my mum did know a silver-haired German fella. I'm married. <laughs> but the Weimarana looks like the silver Labrador in so many ways. Mm. And when Ludo sees a Weimarana, he, he goes crazy. Like, it's a, it's a, like he's seen his brother or something. Really? So, and there is, I've done a bit of Googling, and apparently some people believe the silver lab was, a, was mixed perhaps in the 50s, like a... Uh, a standard coloured lab with a Weimarana is, is the theory. So and guess what we're doing? What? DNA test. For the dog? Well, first of all, for the for Tilly, because you've not asked the most important question, what breed is Tilly? Well, you told me the parents breed, but perhaps... The you... mum. I said the mum's breed. You know how oh. dog breeding works, don't you? <laughs> it takes two to tango. <laughs> right. Right. The mum is half staff. I don't well. like... It takes two to tango. <laughs> There's a slight suggestion of judgment towards the dog. Do you walk in after you discover, hey, it takes two to tango. Well, You're you... both taking responsibility for this litter. I'm not going to lie, I've never quite liked your impression of me. <laughs> it's, it, it always managed to sound just a bit, a bit like Jack Duckworth. It's always just a bit like a very grim storyline in Coronation Street. Not just a jovial one. I've sat with secretary spreading rumours about me. It's that sort of tone about the way you did impression of me. So what breeds Lee, Mike? So, so half Staffy, half Cocker mother, father, pure Cocker. So I suppose that makes 
her three quarters cocker, one quarter staffy. Now you tell me, I, she doesn't look like either. She looks no. a bit dashundy and a bit beagley. She does look a bit beagley. So I thought, well, you never know, back in the past. What's the portmanteau name then for the, the for that breed? Portmanteau. That me? I've never heard of that word in my life. It portmanteau, means... isn't that that athlete's foot? <laughs> portmanteau bit. No, portmanteau word is when you link two words to create one word. Is so it? yeah. So Brangelina. When... Exactly. Oh. You've got it. You're very quick. Oh thank you. You don't have to say it like you've visited me in hospital. Once you get in. And, I, and I've just woken <laughs> up. You're certainly remembering the names, aren't you? Well, since the man who just said portmanteau, Portmanteau. what does that mean? Is that athlete's foot? Um, Aye, she's sacked and she won't be going back. (laughs) Spreading rumours about me. (laughs) 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 If you were in Coronation Strictly, what... I'd love to be in Coronation Strictly, actually. Would you? I think you'd be good. When I started in showbiz, there was two things I wanted to do. Being Doctor Who and a little part in Corrie. And I've done my Doctor Who. It's something I've always wanted to do, but I'm not willing to spend more than two or three days on set because I've got things to do. I want to say things to do. I mean, I just like being at home. Yeah. That's my new thing now as I'm getting older. I love being at home, don't you? But in theory, you would like to be in Coronation Street. Oh, definitely would. I'm not joking. I would like to do a very small part in Coronation Street where I just pop in, like go up to the bar at the Rovers and just say, and they go, are you new around here? And I go, yeah. I'll just sack secretary. And I'll tell you something. She's not coming back if she's spreading rumours like that about me. And then just go again. Just so you know, Lee, I don't think secretary, I don't think that she'd be called a secretary now, be... Uh-huh. What do they call that? Personal assistant assist- or oh. Oh. Wow. office administrator or something. I don't, I don't like the way you're saying that either. Like you, you're meeting up with your granddad and he's just told you a story well, about how he recently that. visited a foreign country and he had his own way of explaining the locals. And you've gone, I don't, I don't think they actually say that before granddad. <laughs> No one's going to complain. They're going to be too busy saying, you can't give a dog vegan food, you animal. That's what they're going to be saying. Walking the Dog is sponsored by Pet Plan. As some of you may know, I'm fussy when it comes to my dog, which is why I never went back to that groomer who gave him a mullet. But I'm fussiest of all when it comes to his health, and that's why I've always insured him with Pet Plan. I've always found them so easy to deal with, and they cover things other insurers don't which is probably why they're the UK's number one pet insurer. You're number one as well, Raymond. Calm down. Terms, conditions and excesses apply. Pet Plan is a trading name of Allianz Insurance PLC. So you're now a two-dog family and you've got a cat. Two cats. Two cats. What are the cats called again? They're called Yoshi and Poppy. We've, everywhere you look, something's breathing. I've realised that. You go into a room and there's something breathing and looking at you. I quite like that though. We've got three kids, two cats, two dogs. Sometimes we go in the garden for a break and then look at 56 <laughs> goldfish and I think there's just no escape. I'm so pleased that you've got dogs. I think you're, I think you're a real dog person. Yeah, I think so. Well, we grew, I grew up with dogs. It was Tara that didn't, I, you know, I had a dog when I was a kid, which I think we talked about. You had a dog because you grew up in a pub. Correct. And you really, I'm trying to work out, have you got a good memory or have you been listening back for research? I've, I have got a good memory. Have you? Yeah. Well, I read your book, do you remember? And I really liked mm. it. And I have good retention for things that I like. You'll mm. understand that. 
Yes. Because it's an ADHD Is thing. Is it an ADHD yeah, thing? Yeah, if you like things, you'll remember them. That's why people get irritated. When but you... it's all or nothing, isn't it? Yeah. I can't remember things that happened yesterday. Do you think it's because the shelf, the memory shelf, just gets full and you've just got a choice? You can only remember if you take something off. It's because if you're... If you've got ADHD, which I have and Lee has... Have you di- been diagnosed? Because mm. I still haven't been diagnosed. It's just a general assumption from everyone I meet. I don't know what it is. But I also, well, you did it, you say that, but you did the, go and see a psychiatrist. Now, in the book, I went to see the psychiatrist, but not for an ADHD yeah. diagnosis. I went to the psychiatrist as a, as a way of doing something in the book, which was read the chapter, yeah. and at the end of the chapter, write what you want about the chapter. So it was a device. And she said, I think you've got ADHD, but she also pointed out... We don't usually diagnose ADHD because people come to us with autobiographies and says, can you read a chapter? And they write a bit about it after every chapter. That's quite niche, she said. So, But you see what we've just done? We were talking about the dog and look where we've ended up. So this is, mm. I'd say that's fairly, if you want to know what it's like, that's what it's like. Mm. Your dog in the pub, that I'm was sorry. the dog that bit you. Husky, I've got a picture Husky. of Husky. It's quite a coincidence. Oh, can I see a picture that of your is, It's dog? not particularly good, but someone who lived near us said, I've done a drawing of your dog. And it's the only real thing I've got of my dog. Oh, Lee, Sheba. this is so beautiful. Yeah, it's a little chalk drawing from, from the 80s or something. And that's, yeah, that's my dog. Look, Ray, what do you think of that? Be careful, it's chalk, so it will, it will dribble if, if it gets wet. <laughs> yeah, that's Sheba. So she was, we used to say half husky. And half, we don't know what. So uh, it's definitely a mixed breed dog. I love that you've got that picture. I think that means you must have had quite a, you must have formed quite a... Oh, massive. I got this dog when I was seven. It lived 14 years. So I had that dog from the age of seven to 21. So that's, that's a massive, and I don't remember much before seven. So basically I had this dog for the whole of my childhood that I remember, and my teens and my early twenties. And because you were moving around a lot, and things were a bit up and down at home. A little bit up and down, that's an understatement, yeah. <laughs> a bit up and down. Yeah. But the dog represented stability as well for you, I think. Do you I think? I think so, maybe. Maybe, who knows? I don't know what it's like not to have a dog, so I've got nothing to compare it I to. I think she did. I okay. think that I think Well, that let's was... go with that then. And then a terrible thing happened because, what? well, you were lied to. Oh, yeah. Not, that's not that dog. So the dog, which story made it on would have lied to you. <laughs> Which I, I'm quite, I'm quite protective of any personal details. But for some reason, in the early days, I would have lied to. You. I would have literally got my penis out on the table if it had have had an obscure birthmark on it worth of any note. Now I'm a bit protective. But at the time, I told the story, which is true, that before that dog, there was another dog who was only lasted a few months with us. And my mum got this puppy, an Alsatian. And it was nuts, absolute nuts, this dog. And it kept biting us. Mm. And rather than just admit defeat and give it away, she thought would upset us, she went for the much more um, palatable story of he's been hit by a car. Actually, to be fair, no, he was hit by a car. That is true. He was hit by a car, this dog, but was fine. Went to the vets and and said, no, he's going to make a complete recovery. He's going to be fine. But my mum used that as an opportunity to... And, and put me on the phone. I remember standing in the phone box because I've got the vet on the phone and the vet said, um, I, um, just so you know, the angels came down and asked if uh, Shane, that was the name of the dog, Shane would like to come and live in heaven. And I went, nah. so he's dead, is he? And, uh, and that was it. Turns out years later, it wasn't the vet, that was her mate. Just her mate. 
And so, but she thought that was a better way than yeah. saying we've given the dog away to give closure. <laughs> so we thought it was in heaven and it was in Stockport. And that was, yeah, it's a bit disturbing, isn't it? <laughs> but I don't know, maybe she was right. If you say we've given the dog away, you, you're constantly, it's there all the time, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? It's always, you know. What's, what's, harder, to, what's harder to live with? A parent dying mm. or they move next door but you never see them? Mm. Let me tell you, it's not the second one because that's what I went through. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean? Knowing somebody's alive that you can't mm. see is actually quite, you know, you, you, if a parent and a child don't, don't see each other. It's quite hard for that child if the child knows that parent's alive. If they chose not to. They chose not to see their child, you know, it's quite... But then you had to deal... Your dad, when he left the family, he left the holiday Mm. and didn't come back. I knew this would happen if we sat down on the sofa. (laughs) Emily would slowly steer it around towards, of course, your father. I would argue that is probably more... Well, I don't know. We can't say what's more more traumatic. You're not... I can say anything I like about my father. I've told you that we might be feeding our dog vegan vegan food. I can say anything now. (laughs) No one's going to mention it. Honestly, I can say anything. I killed my father, I buried him in Epping Forest, no one's ever going to find the body. How dare he say he's giving his dog vegan food? That's, that's what will happen. How do you find the walking aspect of it? Because you get recognised as well. So it takes yeah, you longer, it doesn't bother does it? me now. I used does to it bother not? Me. No, I tell you what's changed with me. I, listen, I'm not David Beckham, despite you know, what you might think. I'm not, I'm not as good looking. But no, I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not like, I always think comedians aren't proper famous. They're like proper famous means sports stars or or movie stars, and that you know we're we're at the lower end. I'm quite glad that it's like that, but that's what I've always felt. So it's not like it's a major thing. But I would say that on the times when I've not wanted to be recognised, the hat and the glasses always works. So it's fine. Just put the hat on the on the glasses I wear, and no one ever. But that's not all the time. It's only occasionally, you know, I will do that. But. I've realised that actually when you do a quiz show on ITV, you think when you're on a BBC One sitcom or a panel game mm. that, you know, everyone, everyone at some point has watched it and it just isn't true. Some people just don't care about comedy at all and they just don't watch it, you know. Um, it's like that old joke, you know, about the Yorkshire fellow going, comedy, you know, it's all right if you like laughing. <laughs> but, <there> is <laughs> but it's sort of true. Some people just have no interest in comedy and just... And just have an aversion to it. It's gone. Oh, no, I don't like comedy. I don't watch comedy films. I don't watch comedy programs, and so they won't have seen the comedy I've done. But ITV quizzes they might like because they're not in the genre of comedy. Mm. Um, and so I've noticed any idea of sticking a pair of acting glasses on if I want a bit of anonymity goes out the window. Now I'm on an ITV quiz show because they just go, "Hey, one percent club." They just it's oh really that's interesting. it's just gone to a wider audience. That's all yeah. it gets because. Yeah, it's just, just more people, I think. I don't know the stats, but, but a lot of people watch quizzes. You're an extrovert as well. So you... Well, yeah, but not... It, every situation... I've never seen you be rude. I've never seen you be dismissive or... No, I'm never... I, and it's never... Listen, I'm saying this like, if I'm putting the hat and glasses on, the idea is to go... It's, just, it's a balancing act. I know my friend Rob Bryden, when we go out together, he... I sometimes will put the hat and glasses on and he won't and he's perfectly right in his, his argument which is yeah but I don't want people to see me and go who does he think he is with his dark glasses on and I, and I get that and I'm sort of the same you've got to get the you know 
I used to go to a super, I used to be quite paranoid when I first started going on television. And I used to get really annoyed that, you know, why do people still look at you when you've got your dark glasses on and your hat on in the supermarket? And they go, that's why they're looking at you, idiot, because you've got dark glasses and a hat on in the supermarket. So it, it draws the eye, not, not, not the opposite, you know. Yeah. Um, I used to do this thing where I used to change the shape of my face in the supermarket, just, just slightly. Just like, it won't, this won't come across on a podcast, but I just sort of go like that. If I was walking past them, I thought, I think they might recognise me. I'll just do that. And it might just help not to be recognised. And I'd say to Zara, you know, I think they were looking at me. And she goes, of course they were looking at you. Look at what you're doing with your face. Of course they were looking at you, but not because you're on the telly. But then a lot of people say, oh, I never wanted to be famous. Particularly comics say mm. that. You're one of the few people that I believe when you say that. Oh, I genuinely... Listen, I had one ambition, and that was when I went... When I saw the London comedy circuit for the first time, when I went to, to the comedy store in London, and then when I started doing, going to all the clubs as, a, as a, an audience member, all I wanted was that. Mm. And, and it's true of... I mean, it's very easy to look back through rose-tinted glasses, but it is true that my generation of comics that started off in the 90s, there was no stand-up on television. And if there was, it was, it was very short-lived. Mm. Very few people. If you if you wanted to be famous by being a stand-up comedian, you were in the wrong job, because it, the old thing was stand-up doesn't work on television. Now we're so brought up now on live at the Apollo and the various stand-up shows on TV. That just was not the case in the nineties. There was every now and again there'd be a, a stand-up show that would last one series and go, and and then you'd just go back on the circuit. It wasn't a sort of a way of breaking into television. And so it's not like the American way where you'd go on Letterman, uh, Johnny Carson or whatever, mm. do a spot, be discovered and get your own sitcom. In Britain, it was just, just didn't exist. So if you, were, if you were on the circuit, you wanted to be a stand-up comedian because there was no really, nothing else, there was nothing else that was going to follow it. And that's why I do believe there was a bigger proportion of people that were in it for the right reasons when I started out because there was no... Uh, to go after it anyway. It wasn't a path, was it? Wasn't it wasn't a pathway. It wasn't an easy... There was no pathway. It was going nowhere. It was just stand-up. And I was the same. I thought, imagine going around the clubs in London and earning £100 in cash for 20 minutes. I'd never, at that point, earned more than 100 quid a week in any job because I was always in dead-end jobs. This was, don't forget, late 80s, early 90s when I was working. Then I was a student and then I discovered stand-up. So to earn, to earn like... 70 quid for 20 minutes or 100 quid for 20 minutes and be able to do two or sometimes three shows in a night. I was the richest man in the world. I just couldn't believe it, you know. So there was nothing, there was no... But then, I, you I know what I find interesting is that you'd done, um, you'd worked as a stable boy mm -hmm. for Red Rum. I know, I, can, I can't remember the years, but I can remember the, the weekly wage as well. You say the job okay. and I'll say the wage. Stable boy for Red Rum. £26.50, YTS. Bingo caller. £65 a week I used to clear, £25 on my bed sit, 40 quid for myself, 15 quid for food, uh, and then 25 quid for... Cleaning the bingo hall in the that morning. That was extra. When I, found that, when I found I could do cleaning in the morning, wow. I got an extra something like, I don't know, £25 a week for doing a, two or three mornings. And uh, that, was, that was then rich because I suddenly had £15 spending money, went to about £40 to £50 spending money. Couldn't believe it. I didn't know what to do with it. Pontins blue coat. Pontins blue coat. That was, I think that was sixty quid a week. But it was all 
all in. So you've got all your lodgings and you've got all your food. So actually another job where I felt very rich because you literally couldn't spend the money because the audience, the holiday makers used to buy you drinks and, and stuff. And you used to go around, and this changed now I think, but back in the 80s if you were a blue coat, your job in the evening was to go from table to table just chatting to them and you were allowed to drink. So you'd sit there, and the rules were you couldn't drink a pint. So weird. Oh, what a job, what a mental job. And you go, you're not allowed to drink more than, you're, not, you're only allowed a half. So the same conversation every night. Do you want a pint, Lee? Ah, they, they don't let you drink pints. But I'll tell you what, why don't I get you two halves? And you pretend you'd never heard it before, and you go, that is brilliant, thank you. Hey, I just said, hey Maureen, he can't drink pints, I said I'd get him two halves. He loves me now. He's good, and he? Keith's good, I hadn't thought of that. Every table was doing that. So you'd end up just drinking a pint at every table. You weren't supposed to spend more than half an hour at any table, but you found your good table, so you got half an hour. It'd be like parking. You know when you can't park for more than an hour? Mm. So you park for an hour, then you, you move it somewhere else for an hour, and then you go back to that <laughs> other parking space for an hour. That's what it was like. So I only ever had two tables, but I was going backwards and forwards between the two. I just getting drunk. I was like a 19-year-old kid getting drunk, getting paid 60 quid a week with free board and lodgings. And this was the 80s, so 60 quid was... Probably about, I don't know, by with all the with all the lovely interest rates, probably about sixty per quid. And but, was yeah, that it, seen as like when you were working there, for example, did your parents think, Oh god, that's great? That was like seen as um, Did you view that as a career job? Were you thinking Absolutely not. I didn't have any I had no I've never had a career, anything even remotely like a career until I did stand up. Nothing. Every job was just a a, a doing it because why not earns a bit of money. No, I certainly didn't want to be a performer. When I was a blue coat at Ponsits, everyone else was a performer but me. There wasn't even a comedy club up north. I mean, don't forget, I started in, I got an interest in it in the early 90s. And obviously there was loads of working men's clubs, but the so-called alternative boom that I was interested in, completely London-centric. There was no, even when I started doing stand-up in the mid to late 90s, it was very rare that you went out of London and went up north. Then they started opening up, a bit in Manchester, there was jonglers that spread around the country a bit. Now it is a properly sort of national thing, but that wasn't the case early on. It was an art scene, and like most art scenes, you felt that if you weren't in London, it wasn't happening, you know. Certainly in telly, if you wanted, and I didn't, but if you had ambitions in telly, you know. And presumably when you first went into it, you probably would have been aware, was it quite Oxbridge as well? Well, I, yeah. I mean, I still think that's still there. I, Is it? I think so. I still think there's a there's an Oxbridge, if not literal, meaning that they are Oxford and Cambridge graduates that are running the show. There's a philosophy based on it. There's still a, mm. you know, it happens not just in television, but just across the media in general. Um, look at Mrs. Brown's boys, you know, again, like Brexit. It's not the fact that... Uh, People, some people don't like Mrs. Brown's boys that I find interesting. It's the absolute anger. The absolute, people will write whole pages. You know, a broadsheet will, will give two pages, a two page article about why it's not funny and why it shouldn't be on. Now, I remember growing up and not particularly liking the stuff my parents liked. You know, I didn't, I actually now have a, a newfound affection for Terry and June. But when I was growing up, I felt it was a bit safe and not my sort mm. of thing. But there wasn't that anger to the point of writing articles about it. Because it's back to that thing of too, too, you know, too lots of society. 
And I would guess, with no evidence at all, that, that Mrs Brown's boys' audience are, you know, there's a, a disproportionate amount of working class um, people who watch it. And so therefore, the people who work in the arts and the media, they have less connection with those sort of people. So therefore, it does come as a shock to them because they don't know anyone who's watching it. In the same way as they didn't know anybody that was voting to Brexit. And so they, they get angry. I don't, I don't get this. Nobody's watching it. Well, they are. There's millions watching. But they shouldn't be. Right? But I mean, it doesn't matter, does it? Loads of things on. It's not like we're going, today's edition of, uh, today's documentary about Stanislavski has been cancelled due to the Christmas special of Mrs Brown's book. You're not losing anything. They're not doing endless back-to-back repeats on BBC Four. There's plenty for you as well. Why are you so angry? Doesn't work in reverse, you know. When you've got a documentary on BBC Four that, let's face it, hardly anyone's watching, you don't get the sun doing seven pages on that. There you go. Why is this being made? And yet it does in reverse, which is, and it's totally more justifiable a show that gets millions, arguably. You know, well, that's it. why. It's because it so, gets exactly. millions, and so it's an uncomfortable reminder. It's an inconvenient truth. It's kind of like, well, maybe this is the majority. It's not you. Yeah. And yet you're setting the agenda and. Yeah, you're supposed yeah. tell- again like Brexit, and I'm sounding I'm sounding like some sort of Brexit mouthpiece. I'm quite happy to say I voted Remain, but I'm 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 less bothered now that Brexit won. I'm more bothered about the the, the volume of noise that came out after that about what? But we told them, didn't they read that page seven in the Guardian? We told them. Why weren't they listening? We've told them not to watch Mrs. Brown's work. I, look, I can't keep saying this. You know, that's the tone all the time that there's some sort of, you're not following what we're telling you to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I find it genuinely fascinating. It's like, well, that's because they're not interested in what you're writing. They don't, they don't care. We still live in a very class-ridden society. That's what really, I really mean by it when I say it's Oxbridge dominated. I probably don't mean that. I probably mean it's very class-driven still. We live in a very class-driven country still. And to me, Nothing deter- if you want to be middle class or if you want to be not working class, nothing helps that more than your appreciation of certain art forms. You know, if you want to appear highbrow, you're very safe saying I go to the opera or the ballet. If you want to appear highbrow, you're probably not safe saying I watch Mrs. Brown's voice. So nothing, you know, if you if if you you have to like something that not the majority like. Because as soon as the majority like it, it takes away what it's doing for you, which is making you a um, higher status by saying, I'm in the minority likes this, Mm. because the minority are in charge and we like certain things and the majority like other things. So you've got to be seen to hate the majority at all points. Now, this doesn't always work. There are some things that do both. You know, they they cover the, the big numbers but also they're seen as very high art, but they're the minority. They're, they're very you, um, rare, those things. Do you still, how do you identify then class-wise? Oh, I'm, I, you know, I studied sociology at, at college when I resat my O-levels. <laughs> and the one thing that stuck in my head, I, know, I had to reset my O-levels, I was a right tear away waster. And the one thing I remember from it was um, basically saying, 
you, you can't change a class. It's, I mean, in terms of a sociological way, sociological studies, class people, uh, uh, you know, it's a science. They will say, what, does your parent, what do your parents do? What's your dad's job? Uh, and that's so relevant to class definition when you're studying it academically that you sort of can't change it. Really? So, yeah, I'm... So your parents are Republicans. I am working class, living a middle-class life. That's what I'm doing. That is totally what I'm doing. I'm totally living a middle-class life in a middle-class area. I, I, I can't deny that. I'm, but it's also true that I do believe, or certainly the academics believe, that you are, you are, you are set, your class is set. Which is, to me, again, it's not a coincidence that... I remember looking a few years ago, I don't know if it's still the same, but looking a few years ago, who were the arena-filling comics? Mm. And you had John Bishop, Peter Kay, Michael McIntyre, Miranda Hart. If you look at those people, they're not just slightly class-defined, they're uber-class-defined. Michael's not just middle-class, he's uber-middle-class. John's not just working-class, he's uber-working-class. Same with Peter. And it, that's not to say that they're living a middle mm. working-class life, but it's, it's, I'm talking purely their accent. They need that definition. People need to hang the peg on. I'm going to see the very posh woman. I'm going to see the very working class bloke because we're so obsessed with class. How do you choose friends? I see comedy as, forget Stan, forget the professional version of comedy, mm. just having a laugh, which I always try and bring it back to. What, what did I want? Because I didn't particularly want to be on the telly, I, but I wanted to be a stand-up, don't get me wrong, but I didn't have any burning ambitions to be on telly. Um, what, what, I, what did I do it for? What was the point of comedy professionally? Mm. And so what I always try and do is remind myself of what it was like before I was a comedian. And nothing has ever got better than just being with a load of mates and having a laugh. You know, I've played in arenas and that's not as good as making a table full of 12 people laugh that you all, and you know them all. And you're not just making them laugh, they're making you, you know, that whole interactive experience of having a laugh with people is so what I try and bring it back to. I really hope you enjoyed part one of my chat with Lee Mack. As I mentioned, he was such a brilliant guest. We're extending our chat into a second episode where he goes deeper into his thoughts on comedy and also talks about his friendship with the late Sean Locke, which had me half laughing, half crying because it's such an incredible blend of funny and moving. If you're listening to this on the day of release, you can listen to part two on Thursday and do make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss it.